Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast in which we watch a romantic movie and tell you why whoever chose a love option chose poorly and should have selected another character. I'm Jennifer. I am Samantha. Rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, Alan. (laughs) And I'm the youngest, Sadie. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that really like sums up our whole deal. We did a great job on the intro today, guys. (laughs) Yeah. We've encapsulated who we are. Hello. It's been <laughs> too long since I've spoken to you. It's so good to hear your oh voice. Oh my god. How wait, have we not recorded since We did one we did one episode that is vaguely in my memory. What movie did we talk about? Oh, what's your what's my number? Oh, oh yes. The Anna Ferris <laughs> movie. <laughs> but that immediately like fled my brain as soon as we <laughs> finished recording. Not memorable, I'll say. <laughs> Not memorable. Except for the fact that I am still mad about Chris Evans singing The Cars, Just What I Needed, so poorly. But we are going to discuss more singing in movies today because we are discussing the half of it, the 2020 Netflix film that one of us is going to summarize now. Yeah. I mean, Probably I Sadie. It it's, Probably Sadie. It's quite uh, simplistic. Um, it's like a very loose, modern, queer retelling of the Cyrano de Bergerac story, which as uh, fans of the podcast know, I am obsessed with Cyrano stories. Um, Cyrano? Have- more like queer huh? <laughs> <laughs> How do I slap you? Wait, I can just slap myself. <laughs> Um, uh, so that's basically it. If you're familiar with the Cyrano story, right? So there's like, um, the, the Cyrano story, a figure, the tragic figure who masquerades and writes the letters for, uh, love letters for like the much more attractive quote unquote person to the object of both of their desires. Um, and then usually it ends in tragedy for our lovely poor Cyrano. But in this case, not quite the case. Um, the main character, her name is Ellie Chu. She's a high school student. She's Chinese American and she lives in Squamish, Pacific Northwest, middle of nowhere. Um, so she lives al- alone just with her widower father who uh, is depressed. I-, I believe he's depressed. He kind of does much of nothing all day. So she has kind of assumed a role of a lot of responsibility. Like she's the one who like manages the train station that they live at. She is the one who brings in a lot of the extra money by selling essays to her fellow peers uh, in exchange for some currency. Um, She's very shy, introverted, um, is sapphic, of course, we'll get into that later. (laughs) Um, And the whole like, uh, plot of it strikes up when because she's she's bullied, she doesn't really have any friends. Um, But then this one guy named Paul Munsky, he's a jock, a himbo, a super like, probably the most authentic person living in the United States. <laughs> he approaches her and he says that he's in love with one of the popular girls. Um, I think her dad is like a church, a preacher person. Uh, anyway, her name is Aster Flores. And he says that he's in love with her and he wants um, Ellie's help kind of workshopping his letter. So she takes one look at it and she's like, this is total shit. Um, and so basically... The Cyrano plot line takes off from there, right? So Paul is trying to woo Aster and he does that through Ellie's text messages and Ellie's letters that she's writing. And so in that, two things happen. Ellie and Paul become really, really good friends. He kind of confesses to her that he loves making sausage and like that's what he wants to do with his life and all of this stuff. And, you know, he's just, he has a big, busy family then she confesses that like, you know, she just feels a lot of burden. And um, it's just her and her dad, her mother uh, uh, died. Yeah, her mother died a while ago. Um, And she also wants to like go to a college out of state. But she doesn't, she's kind of written that dream off so that she can stay behind in Squamish and take care of her dad. So like they kind of forge this really deep bond between the two of them while they're pulling off this kind of uh, plot of deception. Meanwhile, Ellie, in her correspondence with Aster, unbeknownst to Aster, um, she really forms a deep connection with Aster. 
and through like art and literature and all of this stuff. Um, and there's initially a point like closer to the beginning of the film after like a first very disastrous date between Paul and Aster, where Aster was like, you are nothing like <laughs> these letters, uh, where Ellie tries to call it off. But then Paul like defends her against some like racist asshole bullies. And she's like, okay, I can teach you how to read. <laughs> Basically, like I can teach you how to do like basic uh, literature and all this stuff. Um, and so things kind of progress. Of course, this all has to come crashing down. Paul in hanging out with Ellie over an extended period of time, he falls for Ellie kind of like he kind of gets his wires crossed a bit. And so he tries to kiss her. Aster comes in. Ellie's like, absolutely not, Paul. And then he kind of sees a and he's like, oh, you're in love with Aster. And he's like, I don't believe in that. I think that that's a sin. Because again, he says, super- you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, oh. Yes, he does. Whoa, Paul. What a 180. <laughs> Damn, Paul. Um, we went from sausage straight to hell. <laughs> well, isn't that how it always goes? <laughs> um And so Ellie is, you know, distraught, right? Because she kind of, things just got kind of weird and tangled up between her and Aster. Paul has slowly become her best friend. And so for him to say that, of course, obviously very hurtful. Um, And then, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Aster has a boyfriend named Trig. And that pretty much tells you everything that you need to know about Trig. Um, He's planning on proposing to her in high school, um, which happens, unfortunately. And so (laughs) he ends up proposing to her during like a church service. Um, But then Paul, I'm trying to remember how this happens. Paul, after the whole thing with Ellie and Aster, he decided to like search online, like is gay bad, enter. Um, And the answers were like, no. And he's like, damn, that's crazy. I I love Ellie so much. Why did I say that mean shit? to her. And so then um, Ellie and Paul are also at the church. I'm trying to someone take over this part. I'm trying to remember my brain is fuzzy on all of this. Um, Trig tries to propose to Aster and Ellie interjects without even knowing what she's going to say. And then um, everything is revealed through a series of impromptu speeches riffing off Corinthians, if I'm remembering right. Including Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And so Aster finds out Ellie has been writing Paul's letters. Aster slaps Paul and storms out of the church, um, leaving Trig alone. (laughs) Yeah. And in the end, she, Ellie had like, um, she had accepted going to the college after she kind of has like a conversation with her dad. And like, she realizes that she really needs to like go out and like seize the things that she wants and be like the person at the front of her own destiny, etc, etc. So at the end of this, this whole thing, she's going to go and she's going to be leaving. I think it's like Grinnell, Grinnell College. I don't know. It's in Iowa, right? Or Iowa. Wait, I feel like I have a friend who taught at Grinnell. Uh, is it like a nice yeah it's in school? iowa oh, it's like a liberal arts college in in iowa oh you know i gotta say i appreciate I, I was like just listening to that like what a random fucking choice for this but thank god it's not harvard again where that yeah kid from that terrible joey king movie went to major in fights you know <laughs> i'm so sick <laughs> harvard <of> <laughs> The, the deep cut from one of our early episodes. Um, yeah. yeah. Grinnell. I like it. Kissing it's not your uh, obvious choice of like, let's put a college name in there for this kid to go at the end of their building yeah. on or whatever. So how you I gotta say, say, if she's trying to get out of the middle of nowhere, I'm not sure <laughs> Grinnell, Iowa is gonna like satisfy yeah. her cosmopolitan interests. Um, but I gotta no say, I guess to Grinnell, it would be Iowa. like a nice, uh, a nice ease into everything, like going to a place that's similar to your hometown, but is like has more opportunities maybe would be 
less of a culture shock than going from like Squamish to New York City. <laughs> the population of Grinnell, Iowa was 9,564 people at the time of the 2020 census. What? <laughs> Wait, was Squamish, is Squamish a place? No, there's like a Shahamish and a Squamish here, but Squamish is the, them just kind of like throwing together some Native American sounding <laughs> words and making a town name. Uh, yeah. I had I wondered I see, about I that see. when they show the like the town sign near the beginning of the movie, I was like, that is a goofy ass looking like one of the letters is crooked in a whimsical way. And I was like, is this a real place? Did people really do that? So I'm kind of comforted to know that no, this was invented for the purpose of this film. Um so let's see. So before she leaves for Grinnell and you know gets on the train. Um and by the way, that's like a whole very cinematic kind of uh full circle moment right because she, like she's always been the one operating the train and like waving the station signs but she's never left squamish right so before she leaves for college she finds you know she sees aster she apologizes to her aster's like i liked you too um and she's actually going to go off to art school like she's not going to stay behind and marry trig um and kind of you know cut her dreams short and so then they kiss and ellie's like i'll see you i'll see you in the future kind of thing like very cinematic and like Oh, it's so good. Um, and then Paul is there at the platform and he uh, hugs her and, you know, tells her that his sausage business is, is doing good, that, that he's got good reviews and he promises her that he's going to check in on her dad and like continue to take care of him. And then she gets on the train and then, um, in kind of like a, a homage to, oh gosh, what's the name of the movie? It's a movie that Paul and her watch early on in the, in the film um, together. Ek, ek Villain, Ipadipa. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, there's like a scene in that movie. It's an old black and white film where one of the characters is like running after the other character in the train and like, you know, waving to them, like, you know, as far as the platform goes. So like, as the train takes off, he chases after her and she watches him. Um, and then she turns back around and she's ready to go off to Grinnell in scene. So I guess- wow. It was Grinnell truly was our guy here. If uh, the guy that was chosen was Grinnell College yeah. in the. <laughs> Well, uh, what did, okay, so I know that Jen had a bit of a roller coaster of emotions watching this film. Tell me, both of you, tell me what it was like. Thoughts? Jen, do you want to go first or shall I? I'm still marshalling my thoughts. You go first. Okay. Uh, I thought the direction was fantastic. I thought the performances were great. I do have Ellie a Wu. very hard Wu, time Wu. watching the movie, though. <laughs> I mean, Yes. Part of it. Yes. I agree. Part of it is for me, what it comes down to is these are 17 year olds. And yes, they have a lot of feelings and some of them have an enormous amount of trauma, but they all talk and like react to each other and like, like leave these long weighty silences in their conversations. Like they are like 50 and at somebody's funeral, like constantly, <laughs> like no matter what they're doing, there's a funeral going on just off camera, you know, it's certainly not a dairy girls. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're like young adults and they're like, you ever think that this is all there is to life? Just school and heartbreak, pedagogy and though. pain. <laughs> The oldest mix of the oldest old fashioned in the book sliding at you from across the bar and you're like, holy (laughs) shit, like, (laughs) lighten up, go get a fucking Frappuccino. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have Frappuccinos in Squamish. There is a Starbucks in every small town in Washington. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other thing is like, I do like that I read one review that was like the depiction of rural life is neither like celebratory nor denigrating. And I do like that about it. At the same time, like, um, the other thing that really confuses me is like the portrayal of religion, you know, like, I feel like if this were a little truer to life, everybody would be going to some like church in an old warehouse called like 
campfire with like a <laughs> youth pastor and they're all like singing while somebody plays a sad electric guitar song. You know what I mean? Like what was the church in this? It had like trappings of Catholicism, but it wasn't Catholic. They yeah. were pretty evangelical in like their anti-LGBTQ ideology. So it's not Episcopal. Lutheran. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there was like the old preacher or whatever. Against who was always like yelling about hellfire outside of it just had like outbursts of, of screaming also. Okay. So the preacher, Mr. Flores was also the music teacher at the school, right? Was that the same person? That beats me. <laughs> I can't remember. So the singing, why do you ask? <laughs> we, we have to talk about the singing because wait, okay. So I was shocked recently, recentishly. I think when we were discussing uh, what to watch for, upcoming episodes like a few months ago when it was revealed that Sadie our endless onion of secrets does not like musicals yeah I don't remember when we were gonna watch there was a musical however Sadie again our endless onion of weird idiosyncrasies Ah. (laughs) can somehow tolerate watching people deathly earnestly sing at each other in movies which I I don't know why I can uh, maybe like exposure from my youth or whatever that like people dressed up as weirdly erotic cats like singing and rubbing on each other does not distress me as much as just normal ass people earnestly singing at each other like on camera that makes my skin want to crawl away from my body and there were several instances of it in this movie here here is here are the three ways that i permit singing in films (laughs) And and TV, okay? Number one, if it is a musical that is 2D animated, 2D, if it's 3D, out of the box, right? So <laughs> Beauty and the Beast versus, um, I can't even think... <laughs> Like live action beauty and the beast that with comes that comes emma watson <laughs> that also but like um in canto even i loved that movie but the sheer struggle of me to enjoy myself despite <laughs> despite watching them sing it killed me um so 2d animation fine okay number two if it is a, a live action musical but I can tell that they're singing in the movie. So for example, Les Miserables, the one with Hugh Jackman. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I can tolerate it because I know that they're singing on set. Number three, no, if they not are singing, singing on set in that, they, it's studio and they're lip syncing to it. No, it's they not. just have realistic recording conditions. <laughs> No, it's not. Are you in sure? In Les Miserables, they're, they're, the whole thing was that they were singing on set. Oh, That's okay. why it sounds a little bad, which is the, the special sauce. And then, well, thirdly, <laughs> is if they are singing, but they sing, are singing badly. <laughs> Then I then I and then I like so it. So if they do if they sing but they do a shitty job of it, Sadie's yes. okay with it. Yeah. Because that's life. I if I am being serenaded by someone, I they're not going to sound like Mariah Carey. They're gonna sound fucked up. And that's what I want. <laughs> I want someone to sing even though they're bad at it. I realize And that's my official as opinion. a person who sings a lot in my car and my home and had a phase where I recorded like a lot of videos of myself singing what I was listening to and posted them to my Instagram account. This is a very hypocritical stance to take, but I do not fucking want to be serenaded by somebody in the course of my daily life. Like (laughs) I would feel like that was so weird to sit there and have to watch somebody sing at you when you're not like participating or hater. (laughs) I am. I am a, certified hater of of the singing scenes this movie i kind of had to black out temporarily i had to disassociate to protect myself wow but yeah i so i kind of like samantha i the performances were great the like cinematography was a little bit depressing because sorry the pacific northwest is kind of gray and rainy uh you know, it like, but it just, this movie was not my bag, I guess. Um, but I am glad that it was made for the people who need it, uh, for very serious and dour 17 year olds, probably struggling with their own ish. Uh, <laughs> maybe, uh, that, that maybe that's the audience, you know, uh, I'm just not, I'm not in the place in life that this movie was for me. Yeah. Also, this is just sort of a problem with the whole Cyrano conceit, obviously, the, like in the first 
first place. But for some reason, it struck me more so in this interpretation than it really ever has before that I felt terrible for Aster, for the girl who was the object of all this desire in this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when I was like, put some different music on that. And this is a fucking horror movie when they were making their weird stalker bus where they were like writing all the facts about her and like putting them up and stuff. Like it's just such a terrible and uncomfortable experience in life when someone else projects something onto you without really knowing you and turns you into this kind of, uh, yeah. Like I, Oh, it just, I, I felt terrible for her. And Aster spent most of the movie looking like she wanted wanted to fucking die and fair. So I hope that she and Ellie, they, they ended up wrapping that up like in an, un, you know, in keeping with the rest of the movie, kind of an unrealistically mature fashion um, with the whole, you know, you did this terrible thing to me, but I kind of forgive you anyway, because I'm really sort of into you and let's smooch and see you down the line when we're both more adult or whatever, you know, which was a nice ending. And I'm glad that that's how it wrapped up kind of on a pleasant note, but damn, like Astra needs to get out of that town and go to some fucking therapy. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. It sounds like she's gonna submit herself to conversion therapy based on. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but she's just like always talking about like God and belief, right? And you can do that and be gay. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. But I don't know. They give her a little half smile at the end to suggest she was okay with the kiss. But with that denim jacket, I kind of worry. I kind of worry that mm. she's going to like try to recloset herself. Yeah. I hope not. Maybe art school will be good for Aster. Let us hope. What what school do we think? So if Ellie went to Grinnell, where is Aster headed? I hope RISD for the sake of her budding gayness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably in keeping, if you're going to go out to the middle not. of nowhere. She probably isn't going to go all the way across the coast, though, unfortunately. Yeah. There's like a really <laughs> good... Go uh, one. I got my undergrad degree in is a Bachelor of Fine Arts with concentration in jewelry and metalsmithing. And there is an amazing metalsmithing program at Texas Tech University, which unfortunately is located in Lubbock, Texas. One of my friends from college went there to do her master's and she said like literally that could, uh, that's probably has like even more depressing than wherever Grinnell (laughs) is located. Good God. (laughs) She's going to go to the Liberty University School of Uplifting Christian Graffiti. (laughs) (laughs) that's that's where you learn in in their program you learn how to make those um little folded programs they give you when you go to church with the little clip art graphics (laughs) oh god sadie jen and i have reigned on the parade long enough tell us what you enjoy about the half of it uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I agree with some of what you have said in that, like, some of the dialogue is a little off. And like, I, I also found it quite, I don't know, if uh, perhaps sobering is the right word when he was like, you're gonna go to hell. Like, that was just kind of like, threw me off a little bit. But I also I love Alice Wu's work so much. And I thought that this film was so like heartwarming. And so it's like, at the end, and it's unclear as to whether or not um, Ellie and Aster will ever have a second kiss or like go beyond that. It's probably unlikely, especially since they're going into to different places, they're going to be experiencing so many new things. But like the main love story in this was between Paul and Ellie. And so like, even though it may be true that like Ellie and Aster will lose touch pretty soon, or like, you know, they really won't talk to each other. Ellie and Paul, it feels like they will just be like lifelong friends. Like no matter how much time will pass, they will always be there for each other. And so I just found that incredibly heartwarming. And like, I don't know, like I, I relate to Ellie on a personal level of just like, I don't know if I want to leave because then my parents will be alone. 
and like, how do I do I compromise my own aspirations in order to be there for them and like all of those things. So like, I I related to Ellie. And so maybe that is part of the reason why it struck a deeper chord. But, but also, I just love the Cyrano story. And I think that the half of it does so much better than like any other Cyrano adaptation. I have not seen the Peter Dinklage version yet. I have heard mixed reviews. Um, and I know that it's it goes uh, again. I'm not a musical person. Uh, if it had not been <laughs> a musical, I would have been there opening night. But um, so I'm just trying to get over my own dislike for musicals in order to go see it. But like, uh, what was it? Sierra Burgess is a loser. I was so excited for that, and it really let me down. And I think that this gets the closest to the vibes of Roxanne, which I would consider to be the most uh, successful Cyrano adaptation. Um, (laughs) Sadie, I like the idea of you like clockwork oranging yourself into watching musicals to prepare for the (laughs) Peter Dinklage Cyrano. I do. I literally do exposure therapy in that I can hear Hannah playing musical songs and like show tune songs and stuff like in her room or like when we're driving somewhere together and she just like has it on and I'm like, okay, I can do this. (laughs) I can do this. I can sit here and I can... I can get to the end of the song without begging Hannah to change it. (laughs) I can do this. (laughs) Sadie just peeling her eyelids open to watch the music man. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, what might make sense to me is Alice Wu's movie before this was like about queer Asian American adults, right? Yeah. And I I don't know. Yeah, saving face. It sort of makes sense to me if it's like uh this that is your sweet spot, those are your sensibilities and also you are a director working in 2020s when streaming services just want like a glut of teen focused content. You know, it would explain why the characters all talk like little adults and uh <laughs> things like that, where it's like, honestly, if you raised the ages of these people by 20 years, I would love the dialogue. Um, But (laughs) coming out of their, their little teenage bodies, it's like, oh my god. Yeah. Though, to be I fair, definitely, to that specific point, like to a specific type of teenager who is into films and kind of overthinks things to the point that they sound scripted when they speak, like those people exist and this movie is for them. Yeah. And also I will say, like, if you think about how important this would be for queer Asian American teens, especially ones living in a small, mostly white town, like this film would be so important important. And I can't really think of many, if at all, other like films that depict like the queer Asian American experience in high school. So like, that's really cool. And like to have that come from, I believe, a queer Asian American performance, the filmmaker, the chick who played Ellie Chu. Let's see, Leah Lewis. Mm -hmm. She was incredible. Like I I would be excited to see her in more things. She has a real like presence on screen, you know, Um, I don't like... She's good. I want to see her in more shit. Yeah, never become an Avenger, please, Leah. No. Uh, Sadie, (laughs) I'm sorry, but I have to reveal to you that everything I've said on some 100%, well, 100 plus episodes of this podcast has been scripted by Jen. Oh, Samantha, you just said it. You just told her. You just, (laughs) was that written too? Yes. Time for our reveal on episode. Bojangles, banana souffle. I don't know why I just said that. (laughs) I'm just reading what's in front of me that's been (laughs) foreordained by Jen. Remember the arc where I sent her into a Groundhog's Day loop when we Uh, watched the movie Groundhog's Day and Samantha lived many millions of lifetimes before we released her by recording the episode? Yeah. I had to read that script. I got myself on the back for that one. Yeah, a lot to prepare for that one. That was over my head, so took a lot of performance. Sadie, you just got Cyrano'd for for years. <laughs> I'm am I the Roxanne? <laughs> no, I'm just an extra. This isn't about me. <laughs> uh. I would kind of like to have a script written for me in my life. And that'd be nice if you were just like out to dinner with people and you could just be like. (laughs) I'm Sam. 
I, in that same vein, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I could get down with an arranged marriage if it fit (laughs) my parameters of what I would need in that I would not have my parents choose. I would have both of you choose. Absolutely. I get to have some level of veto power. That's it. That's all I need. I Samantha, let's get to work. I (laughs) the temptation to just prank Sadie with with a marriage would be too great. Here's the thing. Sadie's life is too much of a rom-com already. Like you try to prank her by picking somebody who you think would irritate her, but then they'll end up having like a little bickering relationship that'll get all cute and then they'll fall in love and be soulmates forever. So I... I worry about the process of setting someone up. Um, I mean, like I, to quote Kim Kardashian, uh, on a recent episode of Jimmy Kimmel Live, I watched, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> um, cause then you're responsible sort of for like how it turns out, okay, or at least okay. you feel that way. So here is the sweet but, spot. But, oh, you go first. Amy. Go ahead, Jen. Well, I was well, like, okay. <laughs> Jen, go. You go. <laughs> you don't. Okay. In my, because I am like a nosy bitch meddling person who has attempted to set some people up in my day. That doesn't go well. You don't want to be the setter upper. But when you can find two people who already are into each other and they're just like weirdly being hesitant about taking that final step of getting together and you can be the one to bully them into doing it, that is a sublime sensation. That is where it's at. So if you have an opportunity to do so in your life, that that's the sort of matchmaking thing that, that feels good. Well, here's my thing. is like, it's different setting people up as opposed to arranging a marriage. <laughs> like with that, there's a certain level of like openness. I don't know. Here's my thing. I feel like people dating now, like modern dating is so finicky and like, you know what I mean? It's so like fickle. Whereas an arranged marriage kind of thing, again, within my parameters uh, (laughs) that I have laid out, um, is more like, okay, we're these two people who are going to, like, we don't know each other, but we're going to make this commitment. Let's kind of start out the bat really like open minded and like, do you know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? There's some, kind yeah. of some security of there where you, you're you like, yeah. okay, we're going to do this and work on this project of us together. Like it's an agreement yes. instead of like trying to do that with somebody who may bail at any instant because of just some totally weird thing that might not even be connected to you at all. Yeah. Like when I learned from my Gen Z editor, the phrase uh, got the ick, I was like, yeah. oh, th- <laughs> this sounds terrible of people just like who otherwise might be compatible being like, oh, then I saw him like eat spaghetti over a bowl and I just can't look at him anymore. And it's like, what? 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 (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. The people like some stuff is like understandable. Like some people will say an ick that like, I don't feel constitutes an ick. It's like when he tells you to meet him and then he doesn't show up. It's like, well, yeah, that's just like unreliable. Sometimes people would just be like, oh my God. Sometimes like the way that he stands up, like, like, girl, like break, like, uh, uh, that's not cool, man. I just feel like I am uh, to be subjected to that, to be dating someone. And like, I would constantly be like, are they getting the ick from the way that I'm like sitting? (laughs) Am I breathing too loud? You know, like, so yeah, I just want to, I just want to be married i don't understand how you could possibly have sex with anybody if you were like on either side of that equation if you were worried that you would get the ick or that like you would give them the ick like how could you possibly be that vulnerable in like an inherently kind of like silly weird low-key body horror situation when you think about it like and make that be a positive experience if that was your mindset like (laughs) Wow. Gen Z, y'all are struggling. Yeah, being a human is icky. 
you have you have bodily waste you have release valves on your face called nostrils like you <laughs> have crust forming in your eyes every time you sleep like we are weird little flesh monsters and yeah if your standard for seeing someone is they need to be like the dan stevens android in that german movie i still need to watch uh then like you're never i don't know it does kind of feel like we're living in an era when like people are looking for any excuse like not to like see each other form a relationship and i worry that like you know we've become so alienated through technology that like even the prospect of human connection feels overwhelming now um yeah that's the sort of thing that the 17 year old character in the half of it was (laughs) (laughs) and then paul is like you know i'm always looking at spices to to add to my sausage like (laughs) i follow the sausage account on instagram uh it looks yummy (laughs) wow you did a really good job on his voice there they, they write him as like, I don't know, they write him as like fourth grade reading level. And it's like, he <laughs> might have some basic literacy. That's true. He, uh, I feel like the actor did a really charming job of playing him, which made it palatable. But in other hands, that could have been truly awkward dialogue on Paul's part. Too. I did. Yeah. So about the you're going to hell moment, it's like Sadie said, like shocking, like that kind of was a slap mm-hmm. in the face and I'm sort of back and forth but, but that also felt weirdly like one of the more realistic interactions in the movie um, so I'm kind of back and forth about if that had enough space to breathe and actually kind of be dealt with narratively I feel like sort of the way they reacted is kind of I don't know in real life like if she did decide to forgive him for that that they would probably just kind of brush it under the rug but Sadie I love your <laughs> image of him googling is gay bad <laughs> Yeah, literally. (laughs) And like, I I don't know, I guess I just kind of am out of touch with like the level and the way that teenagers are homophobic. (laughs) Now, like, I don't know, I um, was having a discussion with Kayla with one of my friends Kayla a while ago about Heartstopper the TV show that came out on Netflix and by the way I have an interview out with the with the actors who star so uh, it's on them us please go read it it's very fun but in that show the bullies will like say stuff that's like objectively a macro aggression and then will immediately be like but I'm not homophobic like settle down I'm not homophobic like chill out it's just for fun i don't hate gay people like i'm i'm chill right and i think that that is a little bit more indicative of like what homophobia looks like amongst young people now is like they don't want to be seen as homophobic but also they will throw out slurs left and right but like it's all in in good fun they're not homophobic oh so they've kind of gone because see like ironic homophobia was like all the rage like in my high school years that was you know and that Uh, was back when everybody including myself used gay as a pejorative for just like uh, like that is so nuts that that was so normalized like (laughs) what the fuck but then everybody but that was again the justification like duh it was like the the south park era you know like i don't hate gay people i'm not homophobic that's gay like you know (laughs) So um, I feel actually incredibly uncomfortable and distressed by feeling like we are having sort of a cultural resurgence of attitudes that were very similar to the early W. Bush era um, culture, except now it's even more open and aggressive. And I am saddened to think that the teens are doing that to one another, calling each other slurs and then trying to wave it away. Like it's not, it's ironic. It's not a thing. That's a fucking bummer. We never should have brought 2000s fashion back because look what came riding in (laughs) on the back of those low rise jeans. No, but seriously, it's like, so um, it is discouraging. I, uh, you know, and to that end, like I think I ultimately do land on the side of liking that little like unguarded like slip from Paul 
like I was watching this at the, <laughs> I promise this is related, but Chriselle from Selling Sunset uh, is now oh dating a non-binary <laughs> singer named G Flip, which I G-Flip. love for Chriselle. And like, it makes, it makes total sense to me because it felt like, you know, what Chriselle is looking for is kind of like an, like an intense emotional partnership with someone who like wants to form like a family outside of convention a little bit. Um, and so anyway, but point being like, if you look at any of the Insta comments on news stories about Chriselle dating G flip, it's like, it's like just a resurgence of like, like 2000s queer phobia. It's like, wow, Chriselle really? sure knows how to get attention. Oh, Chriselle is gay now. Oh my blah, God. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just that like, was exactly yeah. that kept me closeted about being bi for so long because the phrase when I was in high school was attention whore about any bisexual person for existing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, G Flip, G Flip is non binary. So this is not like an exact parallel. But like, it was a reminder to me, the half of it that like, as much as like, like, sapphic attraction is like rendered invisible, or like, ignored or like swept under society's rug, when someone is like, actually directly confronted with the reality of it with a character like Ellie, like having legit like like yearning after like another woman like people do it does hit at that like reaction of like this is wrong this is disgusting like I don't want to see it you know like they're kind of okay with it's a very nimby situation it's like I like the idea of lesbians out there like oh that Ellen and Portia aren't they so cute but when it's like in your face people do like react that way and this movie and weirdly um the chrishell news was like reminding me of that all at once this weekend i was a little bit confused when it happened because i thought that he had already recognized that she that ellie was in love with aster but i guess now looking back at that scene when when uh, ellie was saying talking about being in love with aster basically and he was like that's like i'm so stupid that's what you say when you're in love with someone i see now now that Paul was operating on an even simpler level. He was just berating himself for not being able to think of, you know, to articulate uh, deep feelings well. But I, because I had thought that in that moment, he, I don't know, that they were in some weird, like, he knew that Ellie was into Aster, but like, wasn't going to pursue her. So they, uh, anyway, I was confused. Yeah. Where were you both when you found out Chriselle was dating G Flip? I was literally at work about to have a meeting with my boss. And I was like, I have to drop everything. (laughs) I found out from your stories on Instagram, Samantha, and I gasped and clutched my hand to my chest and then parted it and sent you a reaction also. It, it just, it fits in my brain so well. I never thought it would happen with any of the Selling Sunset girls, but like for Chriselle to enter into a queer relationship just clicks in my brain. Yeah, it feels right. I, I hope, I wish them all the happiness. And if Chriselle still wants a baby, uh, G Flip is going to be a great zaddy. I can, <laughs> I oh, can yeah. tell. You know, like Alanis Morissette finally found like like lasting forever love and family with a man named Soli. So you know, sometimes you just got to go for the G flip for the yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued as, as to how their relationship will pair will like pair out because Chrishell is older than G flip. I believe that G flip is like 27 yeah. or 26, and then Chrishell is 40. So I just I I I hope that. G flip is really like no I'm like in it I want a baby kind of thing um I don't know I I just hope the best for them I find it 
extremely hot also um like <laughs> they they have a music video coming out already like they're <gasps> moving at like gay lightning speed you with know with Kasha- with and g flip yeah did either of you watch oh the God. reunion episode where krishal revealed the relationship with no G-flip? but i'm going to now oh, yeah. i've been it seeing is- people post reaction gifs on twitter and stuff <laughs> It's like the funniest shit ever. One, because you can watch some like low key homophobic reactions happening. Um, <laughs> but like, like, and again, this is like complicated because like it's homophobic in the sense that like her castmates don't really understand what it means to be non binary. So they just see G flip and are like, oh, Chriselle's like lesbian now. And I don't know. It's like a, the whole, you can write a dissertation about it. But anyway, Chriselle is just like Chriselle um, <laughs> is like I'm dating a singer their name is G Flip and they do little cutaway reactions to like the other realtors and the it it's kind of like funny weird cute but Tan France asks uh, Jason what he thinks about G Flip <laughs> And Jason, who has clearly never used they as like a pronoun before, says, they seems like a badass. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm pained. I am pained. It's pretty amazing. I mean, technically, like, he's trying to, like, do it right by truly making they singular to the point that you would also conjugate the verb to match a singular person. But, like, it's like a classic case of hypercorrection. And I, I kind of love it. <laughs> Do you think he did it on the fly or like when he was practicing they them pronouns so he wouldn't fuck up on TV that he just thinks that that's the correct like what if he does that all the time that's how he styles the pronouns in his verbalizations. I think he may have been learning about it live for the first time. (laughs) So honestly points for someone like Jason who was probably... I don't know, never knowingly interacted with a trans person in his life. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm being wildly unfair to everyone. Um, do we have any <laughs> other guys? Honestly, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. I think that Paul is someone who like means so well. And like, if you excuse his like stumble there, his pretty big stumble immediately after finding out about Ellie, like, I just think I was more invested in the platonic relationship between Ellie and Paul than I was the actual relationship between Ellie and Aster. Yeah. Um, But that was just my opinion. I hope for my greatest hope in terms of another guy situation would be a Paul Trigg himbo on himbo. Uh, just oh, oh, yeah. Himbo cubed. <laughs> or square. Yeah. I'm bad at math. <laughs> they would mud and eat sausage, you know? And, and, it would be beautiful. In multiple senses. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I uh, I actually, uh, I think I said to Justin that I felt kind of bad for Trig at one point because, yeah, he was like mudding in his truck and he's like, babe, look at me or whatever. I'm like, why, why is he dating this sad sack one, the brunette sitting in the middle, like very visibly hating everything about being there in her life instead of one of these like girls who was cheering for him. Like yeah. Trig, get it together. She's like, they call it mudding, but to me, it's just a symbol of what it feels like to live in this town. Stuck in a rut (laughs) forever, (laughs) trying to move forward, but going nowhere. (laughs) Um, It was kind of um, similarly painful as the the singing, but also kind of endearing. I could see Sadie's point about liking bad singing in movies or appreciating that over a more polished thing. When they had that back and forth graffiti flirtation, they were doing like how shitty that was. That was really obvious that the actors just did it. Like nobody designed this. 
I was wondering if it was even real or if it was um, like a computer planning. CD'd yeah. on a wall, probably, actually, because well, I don't know who would want to offer up their wall for that. Speaking of Washington State. I'd be a hater State, again, damn. <laughs> I have to make fairy preparations shortly. So um, I will give the half of it one half of five stars, two and a half stars, uh, maybe three, a slightly more than one half of it. I like the performances, the cinematography, great. The little hot spring scene, beautiful. Um, oh, I wish that made me they, want to be in a hot spring so bad. Yeah, wish they talked more like teenagers and less like people nursing their fourth beer. And probably could have been <laughs> gayer. Um, I will give it uh, four uh, um, essays that were not written by the person who turned them in out of five. Um, I, again, like I agree with, with those main points. I think that this is a very important movie for young queer people. And I think that the heart between Paul and Ellie is so tangible and really makes the movie so special. Um, and the performances are fantastic. Just wish it were gayer and wish that the dialogue was a little bit more snappier overall. I think that I too will give it four taco sausages out of five. I, um, my own personal like enjoyment level and engagement with it rested more around a two but that's not uh, that wouldn't be fair for I think me to overall rate the quality of the movie on that I mean it's good um, I just it's vibe and my vibe were on different planes at the same time but yeah the performances were amazing and I am excited to see what is Ellie Chu girl's name again I'm checking Leah Lewis I am excited to see that kid grow up and act in more things yeah so Jen what train should people put our podcast in to go to <laughs> art school and in Iowa after <laughs> I can tell you you uh, you performed really well on my script for you where I told you to be hesitant about uh, thinking <laughs> yeah I was say. just following the, good work. <laughs> the note <laughs> good work um well, if uh, people would like to, wait, I, I was going to try to do something with the train metaphor there too, and I just can't, not, my brain's not giving me anything. Oh, if you would like to submit your applications to Samantha and me to enter into an arranged marriage with Sadie, you can contact us on Twitter at YSSTOG, or we also have an email address, which you probably should utilize if you actually are serious about wanting to do an arranged marriage with Sadie, because we're going to like want to see your resume and like a lot of documents. Um, um, you can write to us at yssTOGpodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to help us uh, keep being able to stream all of these movies that we discuss for you on the weekly, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yssTOG. And we have some cool rank rewards and Sadie makes you playlists and you can even select a movie for us to watch. And now I will thank our lovely, wonderful Patreons. I've missed saying this. It's been so long. <laughs> I said it out loud to myself to in my kitchen yesterday in Sadie's voice. I was thinking that it is so adorable oh. that Sadie always calls the patrons Patreons. <laughs> Our Patreons, Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, Liz, Brittany, Ace, Mara, Ramy, The Void, Heartleaf, Ave with Teeth, Haras, Ryan, Maddie, and Abby. We love you all so very much. You are our other halves, if you will. If any of you specifically wants to apply for the Sadie Arranged Marriage, you will get a boost on your application. We'll be placed at the top of the line, as you are our Patreons. <laughs> Just another one of our endless perks. <laughs>